I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. This is the Steelers Preview Show presented by Unibet on WDVE Pittsburgh. Here are your hosts, Mike Brazuda and Matt Williamson. Good evening and welcome to our week two edition of Steelers Preview. Mike Brasuda from the DVE Morning Show and uh, SNR and Steelers.com. Joined by Matt Williamson of SNR and ESPN Pittsburgh <laughs> and a bunch of other all kinds Outlets, of stuff, right? Yeah. yeah, you're everywhere. You're omnipresent. <laughs> Merrill Hodge is the third member of our team. He'll be along uh, at about 7:20 or so as we get you ready for Week Two. The Steelers hosting the Raiders. Matt, uh, I got to start by saying I have a hard time saying Raiders after the city in which the Raiders now play because Without question, I grew up in a world where the Raiders played in Oakland. Yeah, I grew up. Right around here, and as early as I could remember, my family, parents, aunts, uncles told me, you, the Browns, the Bengals, the Oilers, there's not the, that's not the team we hate most. It's the Raiders, and even the Cowboys after the two Super Bowls. But as a seven-year-old in about 1980 or so, I was oh. taught very early, you hate the Raiders more than anybody. It was a glorious time to grow up embracing hate, and they were, <laughs> they were just the guys to do it, but... Uh, History, I think, taking a back seat. Uh, these teams don't play all that often anymore, mm-hmm. and uh, things aren't now what they were back then. And I think for the Steelers team, Matt, coming off of a 23-16 win in Buffalo, you at least had them covering the uh, the points last week. Yeah, I had the but, under and the, and the Steelers plus points, but didn't yeah. have them winning. I didn't have them winning either. I had them losing uh, more handily than you, and uh, – they went out there and figured it out as they went along. Uh, not a Mozart, as Bill Cowher might say, <laughs> right. but uh, enough to get the job done uh, from your scouts' perspective. What's uh, the number one uh, thing that jumped out at you watching that game unfold? I mean, the, the obvious one is just the dominance of the defensive front and the defense as a whole, but especially the front. I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot for this upcoming game. 
I think the Bills are a more formidable challenge in that regard than the Raiders, and that's frightening from a Raider perspective, and the Steelers are home versus on the road, and Raiders on a short week and all those things. Um, the offense, to me, is a work in progress, and Coach uh, Tomlin said something along the lines of, you know, we're not out there for style points, and I think that's especially true in one like this where you got a lot of rookies playing, a lot of new guys in a, you know, a, a brutal building, trying just to get scratch by and get whatever they could. And they did. And they got a couple breaks as well. You know, Allen missed some throws and, um, you know, they got a bounce or two, but they were the better team, in my opinion, and they showed a lot of resiliency. So a uh, big win. Didn't quite see it coming, but I do think the Steelers are a, a bad matchup for Buffalo in general. And I think they're a bad matchup for the Raiders. Yeah. Uh, I'll get to some Raiders stuff in a minute. Yeah. But uh, like you, that defensive dominance was attention getting uh, from my perspective and how they did it. They did so many different things with all the division of labor stuff in the secondary Mm -hmm. and uh, the linebackers lining up everywhere and all over the place and just um, used a lot of bodies too, you know, rotation and kept people fresh and it it was impressive. And listen to Mike Tomlin talk about that after the game. He said, uh, we, we understood and he was trying to be diplomatic. He said, we were concerned we might not have the fluidity on offense, and we couldn't let the defense wear down. Worse to that to that effect. And what he was Adds saying, up. what he was saying there was, hey, offensively it's not happening right now. <laughs> right. So right. the defense has to do the heavy lifting. And for him to acknowledge that, I, I thought was really revealing. Coaches, you don't do that. No, right, and I, right. I don't think that's going to change uh, overnight. I don't think it's going to change on Sunday. I don't think it's going to change maybe. Throughout September, it's going to take a while for this line to coalesce. And until that line coalesces, it's going to be really sporadic, isn't it, in terms of what they're able to do offensively? I tend to think so. And, you know, I mean, you're also implementing a new system that's not going to be learned overnight. Um, Quarterback looked questionable to me, to be very honest with you. I didn't love the way he threw the football. But I do think those young skill guys have a lot of promise and – have, I have great faith that they will be a very solid group. I mean, tight ends, running backs, receivers. Um, there are worse lines out there in the league, to say the least. And you know, might some be of playing those, one of them Sunday. Yeah, and it's a really re- re- you know, revamped line. It made little sense to me in the offseason why the Raiders took that approach. But, you know, they got out of it with a win. you got to realize how many rookies were playing their first game on the offensive side of the ball, too, that they were counting on for massive numbers of snaps. So you got to think this the comfort with the league will get better, but I'm moderately confident in the offense. But you know, we'll see. I mean, it, it wasn't pretty for a long stretch. Even the second half wasn't great. I'll tell you something else that jumped out at me. He's watching that second half. the The amount of times that the Steelers went shotgun as opposed to under center, and uh, I charted it. In the first half, it was uh, 14 shotguns and nine under center. Okay. And that includes the kneel down at the end of the first half. That was an under center snap, obviously. Okay, yeah. In the second half, 27 shotguns and five under center. And two of the five were the two kneel downs after they recovered <laughs> so they the quite, onside yeah. kick. So so basically what they did was, or some, what somebody did was, uh, say at halftime, okay, that's it for the Matt Cannon offense. We're going back to shotgun, three wide receivers, a tight end, and a running back, and we're throwing it. Yeah, and uh, my number that I came up with was similar to that was when Ben threw the football, 
91% of the time he was in shotgun when it was all said and done throughout the course of that game. So, uh, and heavier in the second half, of course. I'm sure he would be the first to tell you if you gave him true serum that he's more comfortable in the shotgun. I get that. But I don't think they're going to abandon the Canada offense or the motions and that type of thing. But sometimes it's just get the quarterback as comfortable as possible. Yeah, I think we're going to still see it. Yeah, Uh, I think we'll see it early in games. Mm -hmm. And who knows, if they get ahead, maybe they get a pick six. Maybe maybe somebody returns a punt for a touchdown. As long as things are comfortable – I think we'll see it. I think when push comes to shove and you come out of the locker room in the second half and you're down 10 and you went punt, 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 kneel down. (laughs) Right. So much for the Matt Cannon offense. We're going back to who we are and doing what we do. Yeah, not to dispute that because that's how sports work. You know, let's just get comfortable. Their play action numbers, though, were very, very high as opposed to last year. I mean, those type of things are an accident. Uh, well, that think... stuff where the tackle would come out and line up on the one side and then shift over to the other side before the play. <laughs> that, re- that was really something. <laughs> and, and I'm I think sure that had a Buffalo flummoxed. Yeah, I'm sure they, nothing, yeah, they blew them away with that one. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I still have hope for the scheme, to say the least. Um, the execution up front and at the quarterback position, to me, had to be better. But we'll see. And, and I think the running game has promise and should get going this week. But I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time putting a flag down on where this offense is right now. Which is to say you know exactly where it is right now. Not so great. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Not so great, yeah. But nobody was expecting uh, Eric Coriel coming out of the no. shoot. Uh, nobody was expecting uh, anything but what we knew they were, which was a, a offense in transition and mm-hmm. a, an offensive team in development. And yes. you mentioned all the new players and the new skates. Right. It's going to take a little while. It's going to take a little while. I mean, I think that's the point, and you've said that a few times. It's going to take a little while. You know, you, you hope you take a step forward against this defense that's coming to town in your own building. But, you know, you got a huge play on special teams in week one. And I expected the Their Steelers. guy missed an open touchdown. And right. I mean, yeah, third you got downs some, yeah. And you got some things in your favor. They, they outcoached themselves on fourth and one. And uh, yeah, so that's true as well. Yeah. And that's, you know, you can't just look at it, you know, who's better – you know, or just the the positives in your regard because it happened in both sides. I mean, frankly, if I was Tomlin, I would have went for it on those two. Would he kicked the field goal? I would have gone for the touchdown. Didn't hurt him in the end, you know. But no, you're right. I mean, they definitely got more bounces than negative bounces, and um, you know. But that being said, I expected the Steelers D to be one of the best in the league. I know it's only one week, but I think it's the best in the league. <laughs> I mean, like, it's even better than I thought. It's I, really something. You know, when they got Joe Schobert, you know how excited about yeah, Joe right, Schobert right, right. I was because I thought, I thought the the weak link, the glaring hole, was inside linebacker mm-hmm. next to Bush. Mm-hmm. So they fixed that with Schobert. But I still thought because of the way the secondary was evolving and the, the nickel-slash-slot corner thing sure, seemed, seemed right. to take an inordinate amount of time to figure out uh, I thought that might leave them vulnerable in the first couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But, boy, did that defense hit the ground running. And they did all yeah. that different stuff that we alluded to and used multiple people and uh, went to a lot of diamond park because Buffalo was actually going five wide. Which, right, right. Uh, I mean, five wide receivers, not just five an empty wide set. Receivers, right. lot, most teams aren't going to do that. No. but uh, Most wouldn't even bring four out. Right? They had it figured out. And the the stuff with uh, Minka Fitzpatrick getting them out of center field and uh, – in, Playing some slot into in the, the box, mix. right? Everything His roles changed. Everything resonated. Uh, 
I imagine uh, pretty much how they wanted it to. Let's get to, to the news of the day here okay. uh, before too much longer. Eric Ebron, hamstring added to the injury report slash practice report, did not participate today. Carlos Davis, defensive tackle knee, did not participate. Everybody else is locked uh, and ready to go. Uh, Robert Spillane upgraded from limited to full participation after that shin injury during the pregame warm-up. That's all that was, right? I mean, who's to say? But <laughs> I watched yeah. the game from here, so that – Right, know. right, I did too. I, was, I didn't know any other news than that. Yeah. I'm just going to take it at face value, but that was odd. Raiders got some uh, injury issues potentially. I think they have major in, in, injury issues. Uh, not we'll just uh, Denzel Good going on uh, IR. Uh, their other starting guard, Richie Incognito – uh, two straight days of non-participation because of a calf injury. He hasn't played in a while. So he didn't play on Monday. Uh, Josh Jacobs, toe, ankle, didn't participate the last two days. Um, Nick Ki- Nick Kiewikowski, There you go. The kid from Bethel Park who has been sharing uh, middle linebacker with Denzel Perryman. kiewitkowski has got a concussion. He hasn't practiced yet this week. Perryman's got a hip. He's been limited both days. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty – they got two guys trying to play that one spot. Right in the same position. And right. right now they got half a guy. Yeah. Uh, that, and they that... recently just signed K.J. Wright as a off-the-ball linebacker, but he hasn't been there long at all. Yeah. Uh, Yannick uh, Ngakwe, hamstring limited the last two days. Carl Nassib, uh, one of the other uh, good pass rushers, along with Max Crosby mm-hmm. and Ngakwe, uh, he was upgraded from did not participate to limited with uh, a peck and a toe. But – uh, this is a team that is banged up, and uh, you mentioned all the guys they brought in on defense. Yeah, massive turnover, uh, massive turnover on the offensive line, and now you're adding injury on, on at, at both of those spots. It is not uh, an encouraging development the way the season has started for the Raiders. No, I mean except for being one and zero, you're 100 percent right. And now you play five quarters of very physical football against the Ravens have to travel across country on a short week and play a 1 o'clock start. I mean, all those type of things are hard to overcome as it is. And you're searching for your starting linebackers because of injury. Um, your best running back, who's often injured, but it was certainly hobbling around on Monday night and did have some good runs. He's a really tough guy. I, I like him a lot. And Josh Jacobs, who you mentioned. The offensive line, to me, is one of the most interesting things, though, because Derek Carr traditionally – has been one of those guys where there's a big discrepancy of what he's like clean pocket versus pressured. So accordingly, they went out and spent a lot of money during the car era on offensive line help. And then this this offseason, they blew the whole thing up. You know, the the two offensive linemen that played the most for them last year, Hudson's in Arizona and Gabe Jackson's with Seattle. So they use a first-round pick on Leatherwood, the right tackle, who – frankly got abused in his first start and didn't play anyone nearly the quality of T.J. Watt. And false started on the goal line in overtime. <laughs> yeah, which, oh, by the way. Which could have potentially been disastrous. Yeah. The way that series ended up playing out with the penalty and then the tip pick. and Exactly. Kind of got away with it. Could you have know, cost right? them the game. Yep. Uh, their, their guards, you mentioned Goods out for the year. Incognito's up in age, but is still a good player. Didn't play. The left tackle, Colton Miller, is a very good player who's developed well, but that's about the only positive thing you can say about the line right now, which really before this year was a strength for them. Yeah, Miller, uh, 47 career starts, very good player. Yeah, give him money this offseason. Established guy. John Simpson, the guy who's playing for Incognito, uh, has started three career games. He's a second-year pro. Mid-round pick Uh, last year. uh, The center, Andre James, uh, third-year pro. He started two career games. Right. I mean, Hudson was Rodney Hudson was a Rodney Hudson was a— a rock there. He was the yep. pouncy. Yeah, no, exactly. It was very, very comparable. 
Uh, right guard Denzel Good goes out. So uh, Jermaine Illuminor, he's played in the league, started eight games for New England last year. He started 11 in his career. But he started training camp in Minnesota. Then he went to Jacksonville. Right. Then he ends up in Oakland. There I go. <laughs> That's the first one, yeah. In Las Nicely Vegas. Yeah. Uh, and they're not stellar lines that got rid of him the, you know, that stops in Minnesota and Jacksonville. He jumped on a moving train. Then he had to jump on the B train at the transfer point <laughs> at 42nd Street. Uh, Leatherwood. First-round pick. It's but... the one Alabama guy that uh, I wasn't doing uh, cartwheels over. No. When we were doing all those pre-draft shows. Yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's a, a fine prospect. He was a reach to me in the first round. He looked more like a you know early second, mid-second type player. There's ability there, but... Uh, he, he isn't super light on his feet, and boy, he had a rough Monday night, to say the least. And uh, now he gets T.J. Watt. You know, best of luck with that. So, you know, as much time as we've spent, and it's been a considerable amount of time talking about the Steelers' offensive line. And what mm -hmm. about continuity? And right, right, What about right. consistency? And what about experience? Are the Raiders telling him, hold my beer? Yeah, and so are – Six, seven, eight other teams, to be honest with you. Watch the Giants tonight and tell me if you'd swap their, their line with the Steelers. Watch the Bears. I mean, there are some bad ones out there. The Steelers are in that you know neighborhood, at least. But there's a handful of teams that I would not swap the Steelers with, and I think the Raiders are one of them. I mean, despite Miller, you know, two first-round picks at offensive tackles, a nice start. But especially the status of where they are right now, that, that's rough. We've got a lot more uh, to get to tonight, right. so uh, stay with us. We're going to be here until 8 o'clock, breaking down the Steelers and the Raiders. When we come back, we will be joined by the third member of our group, Merrill Hodge. We go full house backfield and uh, get Merrill's take on the Buffalo game and what he thinks is going to happen coming up against the Raiders on Sunday at Heinz Field. With uh, Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Persuda. You're listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers Preview Show presented by Unibet on DVE. Welcome back, Mike Persuda and Matt Williamson. It is Steelers Preview, the week two edition as we get you ready for the Steelers and the Raiders on Sunday at Heinz Field. Time now to welcome the third member of our team to the show, Merrill Hodge, uh, joining us as he does Every Thursday. Merrill, are we still in Kentucky or have we moved on to Ohio and are the deer in Ohio nervous? Well, um, the deer in Ohio will get nervous a week from tomorrow um, <laughs> oh. because we are on we are on our way to Ohio. But right now, everybody, everybody's uh, everybody's free and easy right now because no danger in Kentucky or Ohio for another nine days. So it's the calm Look before out. the storm. You're, you're just game planning and scheming. True story. Okay. True story. <laughs> well, speaking of game planning and scheming, uh, Steelers figured out a way to run the ball a little better in the second half than he did in the first half. Uh, that nine-yard run by Najee Harris to start the third quarter eclipsed the seven yards he managed to gain in the first half. Did they uh, yeah. figure something out, or did they just play better? Well, two things. Yes, they figured some things out. You know, listen, I think that um, – you know, there's a reason. I use Peyton Manning on this all the time. Peyton Manning, if you ever watched him play, they never shifted. They never went in motion. Okay, there's a reason for that. See, Peyton Manning wanted you to show me what you're doing. Okay, then became a chess mess. That's why that he would wait to snap the ball at a certain certain time. And that's why teams would wait to a certain time before they switched. So that's what made him strategically interesting. Because, And here's why he didn't want to do it. Well, when you're shifting and you're motioning, well, so are they. 
they have to adjust to all of that. So let's go back to this, these five guys that are working together for the first time. The box, there's seven guys, six or seven guys, depending on who, how they're going to, what type of run they're going to have, who they're going to block. And let's say it's an over front with the three linebackers are stacked. You go in motion, and all of a sudden, defensive line shifts, linebackers shift over right before you snap it. And you're like, oh, my gosh, who am I blocking now? That's what was happening in the first half. And, they, and obviously, they realized that. They're like, okay, let's, let's not do that. Let's not do that in the second half and let's go on the gun and let's run from that. And they were much better. Then they got people accounted for because the one real problem in the first half, they just weren't accounted for people. You could tell that they would come off the, off the ball and be five guys like, where is everybody? Because <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> I remember some of the first games I had, I was like, they, they snapped the ball. I'm like, where'd everybody go? <laughs> Meanwhile, quarterback's <laughs> laying on the back and the guy's supposed to block, you know, ran right by me. So I, I get that. I so smart by the staff to realize that like let's not keep doing that to ourselves and um they they clarified things and simplified it for them and it, and they did better and they, they, they did a much better job when they ran the football and then you know you get Najee gone i mean he's a, he's a gifted dynamic runner you know something that will not be recognized or even talked about but i'm telling you this kid was incredible i, I loved him in alabama for this some of the blitz pickups that he had in that game were unbelievable but they're not going to be on Sports Center or highlights, and nobody usually sees them. But when you watch tape, you get to see all the things that he did. You know, did he have 100 yards rushing? You know, and people they kind of think that's the standard of a back, and because they don't, they didn't have a good game. Really incorrect. He was really awesome in pass protection and helping out and doing little things that the young guys usually don't do very well. Merrill, you mentioned the shotgun, and Mike and I were just talking about. You know, when it was all said and done, 91% of Ben's throws in that game came out of the shotgun and, you know, even heavier in the second half of the first. Do you have a preference with this offense, this quarterback, this system of shotgun versus not, or do you not feel strongly either way so much? Well, listen, you got to, you got, number seven is a Hall of Famer, okay? Um, he's at a certain stage in his his career that you just can't, you know, you're asking too much of him to just stay in the pocket and throw the football on a consistent basis and win. Just because you guys up front aren't good enough right now. Even though they actually did a pretty good job. I'll tell you this, you know, from a passing pass block, when it became very simple, you know, and, and defenses just rushed them in a, in a generic way, they were good. It's when they started stunting and twisting, which is going to be a problem in this game and going forward until they can handle it. They didn't handle that very well. So yeah, that's what happens when you start throwing the football. So you, you watch the game, the Raiders are going to watch that, and you're going to see a lot of that. They're going to see that. Everybody will, they will see a lot of this from everybody, even if they don't do it a lot, just because the Steelers have a problem with it. But to answer your question, if they're going to be most effective to get their offensive line rolling and to make even have Ben be most effective and Najee most effective, is how they can generate shots down the field it's going to probably have to be under center and doing some hard run action stuff. But I'll be honest with you, they didn't do that very good. When they tried to do it, it just, um, it looked like they were confused, you know, or didn't trust it. So, you know, that's a process too. If you don't have that, you just don't do it because uh, you get, you try to get better at it, but you don't keep leaning on it. If they're not doing it well, it's just like the run. They went back to some very generic things, simple things to help them get going. And they probably have to do that from the run action action perspective. Now, the one thing that you do have in number seven that some other teams don't have is if you're forced to do that, he's a good enough decision maker. 
and he's he's got a big enough arm and he's still athletic enough to be productive there. You just can't think you're going to be a successful season by doing that a majority of the time because he's, as bad as he he played because he didn't have his best game. He really had to make the one throw in that game that mattered, that third and three, and he did. I mean, he put it right on the money. I mean, and that's the difference between being an elite pl- quarterback in this league versus not. Like Lamar Jackson in the uh, Monday night game, three times I had the same scenario, and he won't even throw the football. And he'll never be able to throw the football. And there's no evidence to say otherwise. And that will always be the weak link to the Ravens when they get put in those critical moments like the Steelers were their quarterback's not going to produce like that. And and yours did. Um, but to, to really be, to answer it, they're not going to be able to function like they did last year and have a successful season. They are going to have to get under center more. They're going to have to generate stuff from the passing game from there. Um, and I think they will continue to work on that and get better at it as the season goes on. Merrill, there's been a lot of conversation uh, back here in Pittsburgh about that last drive that you referenced and, it was all passing. Uh, to me, they made the Bills use their timeouts. They moved the ball yeah. down the field, and they got points, which made it a two-score game. I don't care if you yeah. run it to get there, throw it to get there, um, do do back flips uh, 10 yards at a time to get the ball down there. I thought it was a very successful drive. Uh, would you prefer they do the old-school grind it out, run, run, run thing well, there, or uh, did the job get done? No sufficiently every game is going to be different see this is the luxury of having number seven versus having number eight in baltimore okay you can go to number seven if you need be okay they weren't really even though they ran it better in the second half it wasn't something that was and i'm sure that they felt at that point was what was going to get the first downs and get us in position to end this game it's not going to finish it for us i think would they eventually like to get there i don't think there's any question but I think every game will always be different. And because you have seven there, you can always go there. And that's the luxury that you have. You can always go there. But I am sure that there is no doubt that they would like to do it the traditional way and end this thing by knowing, you're, you know, we're running it, so do we. And we're still going to get first downs and touchdowns if we have to. Uh, but they, I think they get there to that point. But in this particular game, I think it was exactly what they felt was the best thing to get the win. But I think every game it will clearly be different as we evolve in the season, and hopefully they have options when they get to that point. And it can be they can line up under center and and finish with first downs. Merrill, the Steelers' defensive pass rush was just fierce, and I can't imagine it not being like that all year. I mean, do you think this is a chance to be – as good a one as we've seen around here? I mean, to get that kind of pressure without blitzing, to me, really stood out. Well, there's, there's absolutely no doubt. They did a great job of their rotation. Um, they had a fresh group, um, and everybody seemed to contribute in some fashion and was making plays when um, when needed. You know, you know, you know Melvin Ingram is awesome because he can go both sides, mm-hmm. you know, um, giving guys the break. To be able to do that, Listen, it's just part of the equation. What's not probably appreciated enough is what was happening on the back end from the beginning of the the pass play to the end of the pass play because you also got to take away quick throws too, which I'm telling you, that secondary was incredible. You'd have thought they'd been playing together for years. I mean, how they orchestrated and worked together. There was only one time that they really got they got beat, and actually Josh Allen missed it. That's kind of been Josh's 
weakness, his ability to complete the deep ball. He'd gotten better at that. But that's what I always say. If you have a weakness, you know, from that perspective, it's usually going to rear its ugly head at critical moments. And it did at a critical moment. He had a wide open. It would have been a touchdown if he completed it. That's the only error they made in that entire game. I mean, I mean, people – and when they caught the ball, they got tackled. You know, um, they didn't make – they didn't have a lot of big runs. Um, but they were outstanding. That's, that's good pass defense is the combination of pressure and coverage. They work in unison because you give them the time to get there as well. Um, so it's part of the secondary helping you get that time to get there. But if they can keep that up, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this. We, we might not mention it, but the thing that actually stood out is that third and three and the fourth and one play, because those changed the game. And that was how they defended the run. You know, you got Mika Fitzpatrick who comes 12, deep, 12 yards deep from the secondary and does a perfect job of making a tackle to make it fourth and one. That was amazing. I, I've never in. seen a guy come at a runner with that kind of speed. No kidding. Now, and here's what they did a great job. So let's add to that. They did a great job up front. Okay, the way they created the wall, the defensive line, so you force the back wide. That's where the back needs to be. Okay, so none of them got beat. So they cre- create the wall. They force him to the perimeter. And Fitzpatrick has to be there. That is his job. That's what you drafted. That's what you traded for him to do is make plays like that. A, he makes it. Well, then the fourth one play. Now, Cameron Sutton gets, you know, if you, if you remember the Bills took their wide receiver and went in motion across the formation. The reason they do that is they bring that defensive back in there who doesn't usually play in the box. They bring him in unfamiliar territory. And oftentimes that guy always goes brain dead. Because his receiver went the other side because they swapped him. They switched him. And he did not. I mean, even with the fake um, of Josh Allen, he didn't fall asleep. In fact, he identified what was going on in the backfield so quick. And actually, the Bills made a mistake. The fullback was late. If the fullback would have been on time, they'd probably get it, to be honest with you. Because he's going to be able to block um, Cameron Sutton. But because Sutton saw it so quick, um, he got in the backfield, it was over. And so if you have a secondary that can play the run, too, is what I'm getting at. That's important, too. We always just think it's coverage, coverage, coverage. Man, how they play the run is important. I'll be critical this week. And this is a power running team. They're going to run the football at you. You know, there's going to be runs that get to the perimeter and get on the edge, and your secondary has to be able to tackle. And if they do that, man, you're even more, you're more deadly as a run defense versus just your box players. Well, when I watched the game live, I was really impressed with Cam Hayward. When I watched it again, yeah. I thought it might be the best game I've ever seen him play. Was, well, he, let me tell you was this, he that good? Um, he, 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 he actually had a really good um, playoff game. I mean, a, a game last year, I'm sorry, not the playoff game, but when they went up to Buffalo. I mean, he was the one shining moment. He, that guy, he does it every week. I mean, but he, is, he manhandled some, some folks when they were up there in, in Buffalo the first time. And uh, when I thought about moments too, okay, right, Hayward, you, you talk, I could tell you half a dozen plays where – what he did and the pressure that he created and how he manhandled somebody up front was the difference because the guys on the outside were being chipped or neutralized. And then you just can't do it to everybody. And, um, and when he gets those isolated ones, when he does, he'll, he'll be, he'll be people with double teams. Um, but he is a force. I mean, there's interior wise, there's nobody better in football than that guy. Merrill, Stefan Diggs got his catches last week, but didn't, massively impact the game as he can often do. I mean, there's a new challenge coming to town and Darren Waller, mm. you know, do you have not a solution, but a suggestion or <laughs> would you consider, you know, Minka, you know, he, we've seen Minka do some new things, maybe some man coverage on a move tight end. What do you do with a guy like that? Well, 
Well, last week they did a lot of they did a lot of good job on doubles. But there's a, there's yeah. here's what I would I would try to incorporate a game plan that had this in it. First of all, I would try to be as disruptive at the line of scrimmage when I know he's still. Okay, I got a shot here when he's still because this dude runs like a deer. I, I mean, I'm telling you, what you see him in person, you'll be like, that ain't right. It ain't right. A guy that big should run as fluid as he runs too. So, and I don't know why this isn't done more, but people who do it have major success, disrupt him at the line of scrimmage, especially if he's in the box. I mean, you got a five-yard window. Take advantage of that. Disrupt him and make it very inconvenient for him to get to going anywhere. And then you got to bring doubles in different spots and different areas where he's unsure. But he is truly a difference maker for them. And that has to be a priority. And you got to leave this game going, okay, that cat ain't going to beat us. Yeah, and that, those are the things that in the past I've seen that do what they do if effectively, if they do those things effectively, it can really neutralize a tight end. Nothing to me is, is more infuriating than either a tight end or a wide receiver. Uh, and you see the defensive back or the linebacker, whoever it is, come up and get in their face at the line of scrimmage. And then they don't touch them. And the guy just yeah. runs right by him. Like if you're going to press press, right? If, if not, don't. Get your hands on it. Right. Well, here's a, here's a better one. He runs across the formation of linebackers act like he just, um, oh, excuse me. Go ahead. Yeah, right across here. <laughs> Knock the living snot out of him. I mean, don't let him do that. I mean, that's really got to uh, – teams that have done it, not a lot of people – I'll tell you the Patriots do that. Well, you know, Belichick is notorious for doing that. You see a lot of his game plans for tight ends like that. Trust me, this guy would have double teams, and he'd be being mauled at the line of scrimmage. I mean, mauled. And what you got to do, because this guy is, I mean, he is a super freak. He does some very, very um, amazing things, especially when, from a route perspective and how he runs and how fluid he catches the ball and naturally catches it. You don't want him to get in that rhythm. Merrill, not to interrupt, but you mentioned Belichick. I mean, he used to maul tight ends and even the Marshall Falks of the world with McGinnis and Vrabel and big people, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was his, that, you know, you could argue that was their, um, I think it was called Butcher the Back was their game plan um, <laughs> in that Super Bowl they won because Marshall Falk really was their priority in the, not obviously in the running game, but in the passing game too. He was so versatile and they called it Butcher the Back. So if he came to your side, no matter what your response, if you're rushing the passer, you, you divert and go hit him and knock him anywhere five to six yards off of his path out of the way, and then go after the quarterback. And then if somebody, if he has a pass line of scrimmage and you see him, pop him again. He was irrelevant. And that's almost how you have to, this game, that's how important that guy is to the Raiders. And I think if you can handle it, do something in that manner in a fairly consistent basis, then you got a chance. You can't do it every single time. You know, you're not going to win that every single time. But, man, you make that a priority as, as, as or as the goal is to do it every time. And hopefully you you win 70, uh, 70% of them. Merrill, one of the things you mentioned last week going into the Buffalo game was you wanted to see Devin Bush look less like an athlete and more like a football player. Did you? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm telling you, what a transformation in, in how he played just from the discipline of the run. Okay. Now, let's back up. Devin Bush, he's a young guy. Okay, he was all over the place. In the run, he was always overrunning things, underrunning things. He was never where he was supposed to be. In the passing game, he would decipher things quick enough. That's why people would target him. They'd go right at him, run right by him, get a first down or a touchdown. He was so much better. 
I mean, his run fits, he didn't overplay things. He was disciplined. He was played in structure. His pass defense was outstanding because when we talk about how well they were in the secondary, the linebackers are included in that. And sometimes we forget that. They're included in the process. And he was absolutely terrific. Um, it's an, it was always exciting to see because you'd hoped you'd see that in your second year and you didn't. And that could be dangerous. But clearly in his third year, you know, the injury and stuff, um, people should be excited because he really showed the potential that he can have now with all that athletic ability as he transitions it to a good football player. Merrill, what's your take on John Gruden, not as a head coach, but as an offensive architect, play designer? I think he's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, listen, he believes in power football. Yeah. I mean, from a, a real you know, foundational perspective, because you watch it in this game. He's going to run. They're going to come downhill at you. And the way they block it, they're not too fancy and a bunch of counter stuff. They're just coming downhill. Got big guys, their backs built like that. They're going to come down at you. And they're very, from a passing perspective, which is really one of his strengths, um, is they are a vertical passing attack. You know, that's why you go back to Waller. I mean, they, they use him in a lot of vertical ways, you know, and they're going to take shots and they're going to damage it um, from, especially if they got you committed to the run. And that's why run the football is so effective because you now start being the dictator because you got to drop somebody in the box. Now you're limited. Now I know you can only do A and B. You don't have A, B, C, and D now. I, you got A and B, and I know I can, I can create something that can attack both of those. And he's very good at that. So um, I've, I've always been impressed. John worked with him a lot of DSPN. Uh, I've known him for years. Um, I like him as a coach. I just like him as a person, too. He's funny. He's, I, I would love to have played with him. I go, I, I don't know if we'd have got along like we get along now, but I go, <laughs> I'd like to play for it. I'd like, I go, I'd like to shot at it. At least tried to play for you. <laughs> Merrill, really appreciate it. Um, good talking to you. And I do want to let you know that while we were doing this segment, I got a text from uh, one of the deer in Ohio, and they said they're scheming for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> watch well, let me just tell you this. First of all, I can't, first of all, I laugh at that. However, based on their strategic plan last year for me, I'm not, I'm not surprised by that. See, they absolutely manhandled me last year, destroyed me. So <laughs> they're gonna run it back. All dude. you've done is depress me. All you've done. Is well, I'm trying me. to inspire you. I'm, you know, get on your details, get in your playbook. I figure it out. I make some adjustments, Hodge. Get in there, <laughs> I've Hodge. I've done it. I have done that, but it's very disturbing to know that they probably know about those changes. <laughs> Hey, be a game tape for you to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep you posted, man. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Let's do it next week. Absolutely, guys. Every go, go Steelers, baby. Merrill Hodge, uh, really enjoy that segment That's uh, great. every week, and uh, we'll do it again next week. But uh, first things first, we've got a little more ground to cover to get you ready for Sunday's kickoff at Heinz Field against the Raiders. Matt and I will attend uh, to that on the other side of the break. With Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Persuda. You're listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers Preview Show, presented by Unibet on DVE. Welcome back to Steelers Preview. Mike Persuda and Matt Williamson getting you ready for the Steelers and the Raiders Sunday at Heinz Field. And uh, Matt, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about the way the Raiders operated Mm -hmm. against the Ravens. And I'm not talking so much uh, the schematics or even uh, Willie Sneed, the fourth, letting that 
touchdown pass go right through his hands. <laughs> all the craziness in overtime yeah. and the deflection off the helmet and the interception and all that. But uh, first quarter of that game, uh, the Raiders achieve a first and 10 at the Baltimore 21. Then they get a holding penalty. Then Carr is over yelling at one of the receivers about something, and the ball just gets snapped. And they, right, wind, right. they wind up with a fourth and 32. Overtime, they had that uh, false start penalty pre-snap on the goal line. On the goal line, ready to win it. Backs yeah. them up. Then you have the interception, uh, the problem that became. Then they get the ball back when Lamar Jackson fumbles. Second and nine from the Baltimore 26, and John Gruden decides, let's just kick a field goal and get this over with now since both teams have yeah. had the ball. And they can't find their kicker, and they get a <laughs> delay a game penalty. Right. And that's when they end up heaving it down the field and it turns into the game-winning touchdown. But the Raiders, not, to me, yeah. did not look like a buttoned-down outfit. No. Or buttoned up, however that cliche goes. It was a re- Go ahead. It was a really enjoyable Monday night game. It was entertaining. It was fun to root against the Ravens and all those things. But I came away watching that game with both teams thinking, these two teams have some work to do and have some holes and have some issues and that goes for the Ravens. I know we're not talking Ravens tonight, but I mean their injuries and some of their issues. And Merrill always, brought some. It's of always it fun to talk Ravens, right? You know, I mean some of the the weaknesses they tried to address this offseason that they that doesn't look like got got fixed. And as you mentioned, you know the the Raiders processing and operations were sort of all over the place. And now, yeah, I, I can't stress this enough. I mean, you play five quarters against the Baltimore Ravens. And then you have to come here on a super short on a short week and play a one o'clock game on the wrong you know wrong side of the country. Uh, you think those things are going to get cleaner and crisper? I tend to think not. Yeah, so they're not just first game stuff that yeah you right would right expect I mean, to go away right. Um, we talked a lot about uh, the offensive line tonight and how they're you know rebuilding that and mm-hmm. uh, how that's going. Uh, defensively, uh, Ngakwe spent last year with Minnesota and Baltimore. Quentin Jefferson, the Woody High product was with Buffalo. Uh, K.J. Wright from Seattle, you talked about him. Denzel Perryman from the Chargers. Casey Hayward Jr. from the Chargers. Gerald McCoy, defensive tackle, who went on IR this week from Dallas. A lot of free agents and a lot of high draft picks the last three years. Sure. uh, That are in various stages of getting there, but really none of them there yet, right? No, you're right. I mean, you got to remember when Gruden and Mayock took this team over, they had Amari Cooper. They had Khalil Mack. You know, they traded those guys for, you know, first-round picks that haven't really hit. You know, they've had a lot of money to spend on their own guys, and they keep trying to rebuild this defense. And since that time when Gruden and Mayock took over the Raiders, they've allowed the most points in the league. They have the fewest sacks in the league. <laughs> well, good, good thing they got rid of Khalil Mack. Yeah, that wouldn't have helped at all, right? You know, and so they've been a major work in progress on that side of the ball. And you know, we talked Gruden a little bit with Merrill, and I'm a believer that he's a very good offensive mind, play designer, all that. But I don't think he's a good team builder at all, and they just seem to show that time and time again. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you, Matt. Yeah. I mean, I, I respect. Uh... His offensive Absolutely. expertise, and right. uh, you know, it used to be fun to watch those chalkboard sessions with the quarterbacks oh, yeah, yeah. and the Spider Y two along well too. Spider Y two K banana, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe he should be coordinating somewhere. I, I mean, the guy's a Super Bowl winning coach. He's making ten million a year on a ten year contract. He's not going to be a coordinator. His but that place in history is secure. But I don't. I don't know if he's the right guy 
right now. You're right. At, at this stage. And, and the people that are around him have often said he's always excited. He thinks the grass is always greener. Oh, give me that shiny new thing. I want to grab that player, you know, as opposed to just kind of sticking with his plan and building with it and building with it. And that's secondhand information. I mean, I don't know Coach Gruden. And I do respect him. He's had a very good career. But I great think, career. Great, great career. career. Yeah. I just think he's more coordinator than he is team builder. Yeah, it just seems a little bit off to me, mm-hmm. just the way they are. They are. Of course, the Raiders have always kind of They've always been their, their own, own drummer. drummer. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, one other uh, point to make, uh, Nevin Lawson, the guy who's supposed to be the nickelback, is mm-hmm. suspended. He got a two-game Oof. suspension, so he's not going to play against the Steelers. Nate Hobbs, a rookie. Uh, is the nickel. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of guys out of place, or not, I shouldn't say out of place, but uh, that haven't been in yeah. the places they're in now previously. Without question. Yeah, it's early all in the season, once. of course. Yeah. You know, we talked about that from the Steelers' perspective on offense, all these new parts. And the one that I'm really having an eye on, though, is the Dockway. I mean, I think we talked a little bit about Max Crosby. Really good young edge pass rusher, and I think Nadakwe is as well, even though he's been with this is third team in a very short amount of time. But he didn't play, I think it was like the second half of that game with the hamstring. And considering the state of the Steelers' tackles, that could be the one advantage when, you know, the Raiders' defense is out there that could be hard for the Steelers to overcome is the edge pass rushers for the Raiders could be pretty good. So something to keep an eye on there. Yeah, oh, I both teams should have some, yeah, pretty some good rush, right? Maybe problems running the ball because of the health of Jacobs, and just because the Steelers aren't going to run it very well. I mean, probably they not. may pop a few, probably not. Um, and both teams are going to have offensive line concerns. I uh, got about two minutes left. Anything uh, really jump out at you elsewhere around the league uh, from Week One? I guess we'll keep it in division. I mean, I was pretty impressed with the Bengals and in the fact that they realized. Let's take something off Joe Burrow's plate and give it to Joe Mixon and get back to a higher run percentage. Um, I think the Browns also are noteworthy because just because they lost that game, and I understand that they're learning how to win in this league, they still might be the second best team in the AFC. I mean, I thought they were pretty impressive for much of that game. I'm with you. Yeah. I, I mean, I know that's got to drive them crazy that they didn't finish that game. Sure. But and there's an art to that. Yeah. You know, they're they're pretty good. They are. They're pretty good. And Mayfield played well, and they, for the first time in maybe 20 years, I think they have it figured out. I I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, I was very impressed with Arizona. Yes. Didn't have the courage to uh, back my suspicion financially but uh <laughs> watch out for uh arizona i think that is a team on the rise and really uh, adding the Both right sides of the ball the right people in the right spots and uh they get the vikings at home this week yeah and afc south's kind of a train wreck you know you look at what tennessee did against arizona the the jaguar texans debacle and the colts are struggling too so a couple teams in the afc maybe baltimore well, certainly baltimore and Maybe even Buffalo maybe aren't as strong as we thought. I, I don't know. I mean, just at least considering it. That's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, I want to thank uh, the third member of our band, Merrill Hodge, for joining us as he does every Thursday. Thanks to Shirtless Tom behind the glass for uh, keeping things running here smoothly, even though Shirtless Tom is wearing a Cleveland Cavaliers shirt. Odd. It just felt 
compelled to mention that. Yeah, right. Uh, you don't see a lot Shock of those around the fighting city that. of Pittsburgh, but uh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> thank you for finding us. I want to remind everybody we're going to do this again next Thursday, and we'll do it each and every uh, week, getting you ready for the Steelers' upcoming opponent. For Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Persuda. You've been listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Good night, everyone.